Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, as COVID-19 cases surge, the growing and some would say urgent call for a national strategy to flatten the wave. The federal government will soon begin unveiling its new climate strategy. The leader of Canada's Green Party will join me to talk about how ambitious Canada needs to be. And our panel of parliamentary journalists on the COVID-19 response and Canada's worsening relationship with China. We'll begin tonight with COVID-19 and the surging case numbers across Canada. First, the good news from another vaccine maker. Moderna says its vaccine appears to be 94.5% effective, according to the preliminary data. And last week, Pfizer, of course, unveiled similar results from its trials. Canada has pre-ordered millions of doses from both manufacturers. That vaccine news comes on a day when the surge in new COVID-19 cases continues in many Canadian provinces and territories. And on a day when there are growing calls for a national COVID strategy and more lockdowns to curb the spread of the virus. Here are some of the key numbers to note tonight. 1,487 new cases and 10 more deaths reported today in the province of Ontario. As more regions there are designated red zones, just one level below a full lockdown. Quebec reporting 1,218 new cases and 25 more deaths today. Manitoba, 392 new cases and 10 more deaths in that province and hospitals near capacity. The federal health minister seemed to reject the need for a greater role for the federal government in setting rules for provincial or municipal outbreaks. All along the way, we've given uh, Canadians clear and consistent advice, and it evolves along with the science that evolves as we understand more about COVID-19. I will say this, the provinces and territories, of course, have different circumstances and different outbreaks that they're managing. The best advice for Canadians is to understand the principles around how to reduce spread in general and, of course, follow any local public health measures because uh, coronavirus is more significantly spreading in some parts of the country than others, uh, and Canadians need to know what restrictions apply in their own jurisdictions. Well, federal health officials are predicting Canada could face 10,000 new cases of COVID-19 a day by early December. The Prime Minister has implored the provinces and municipalities to do more to stop the spread. But is that response enough from the Prime Minister and the federal government? Amir Adaran is a professor in both the faculties of law and the School of Epidemiology and Public Health at the University of Ottawa. We have reached him today in California. Uh, Mr. Adaran, first of all, thanks for being with me. I appreciate it. Um, Let me first get your reaction to the latest vaccine news that Moderna's vaccine candidate looks so far to be uh, around uh, 94.5% effective. How reassured should Canadians be by that news? Well, this is great news. I mean, Pfizer was the big news of last week, and they were the leading vaccine last week. They kept that lead for one week, and we're already seeing another vaccine come out that equals, or in fact, I think betters that option. And we're going to see another half dozen or so before the spring, I believe. What our problem is now is in Canada to ensure we're getting deliveries of those vaccines early rather than late, and all indications are we'll get it, unfortunately, later than most countries, and also to be ready in the provinces to administer the vaccine. 
These two challenges have been very poorly addressed by Ottawa and, of course, by the provinces too. And unless we deal with that, we are going to be late on the vaccination game. Uh, how, how, have the, uh, how have the responses lagged? Why do you say we'll be late compared to other countries? For instance, we placed orders for some of these vaccines months later than other countries did. And it's not even clear from the Trudeau government whether we've actually placed paid up firm orders or whether we've just signed agreements giving us an option to purchase. And I and others have repeatedly asked uh, the federal government to clarify whether our orders are firm, paid up, or merely options. And every single time the government refuses to answer that question, which of course suggests it's not firm and not paid up. But even if they were, the fact that we waited in some instances several months than other countries did to get in there with the suppliers means we are not going to be at the front of the queue. All right. Uh, look, clearly Canada is having trouble getting control of the second wave of the pandemic. W what do you believe is needed now as a more effective response? I think it is unacceptable that we have a difference of 10,000% in the infection rate between, for instance, New Brunswick and Manitoba. That's, that's just shocking. You can't have one part of the country being a hundred times worse than another. And yet this is what we see. It clearly calls out now for federal minimum standards. It is beyond time that the Trudeau government use its emergency powers in law to set a minimum standard that all provinces must live by. If the government did invoke its emergency powers, what would look different? Uh, how, how would the response we're seeing now be different? The federal government has the power to set minimum standards in an emergency. So it could set a standard that says, for instance, once you have a certain threshold of cases spreading in the community, there must be shutdowns of the riskiest transmission hotspots in the community. Without a minimum standard as to when things can open or must close, some provinces are simply tempted to wait too long and then we get a massive explosion. The problem is that when they have that explosion, it imposes costs on the entire Canadian economy. So one province not behaving prudently lands the other provinces with a giant bailout bill. Hmm. And it lands the other provinces with a failing economy. We can't have this. What we need to have is a minimum that Ottawa puts out there that all provinces must respect for disease control. Right. Because otherwise, we end up with a situation we have now where the richest province per capita, Alberta, has a staggeringly high amount of disease. And the poorest province, New Brunswick, has very little. But who's paying to subsidize the Canadian economy because of Alberta's failure? It's the poorer people in New Brunswick. What, what about this the, is destroying national unity. What about local and provincial health officers? We talk about powers for the federal government. Those local officers and provincial officers, they have enormous powers to impose whatever measures they think are needed. But in most cases, they haven't done that. Why not? 
Yes, Peter, you're exactly right. And we wrote about this in McLean's a few days ago with a, a colleague of mine, Professor Lorian Hardcastle in Calgary. They're not doing it, these local and uh, medical officers of health, because they're afraid. They're pulling punches. They're letting their government, the provincial government, get away with murder in terms of not controlling the disease. And most of the local medical officers of health are simply wringing their hands about it. This absence of courage is killing Canadians. I can't be more clear about it. If you look at the United States, Dr. Tony Fauci has been utterly brave in standing up to Donald Trump doing nothing about the disease. Where's our Dr. Tony Fauci in this country? Most of our medical officers of health are simply refusing to contradict their governments. And when they contradict, my God, they have all the power in the world to. They can issue mandatory shutdown orders, whether a premier agrees with it or not. But they're not exercising those powers. All right. Uh, we'll continue to watch as this situation unfolds. Uh, Amir Adaran, always good to get your perspective. Thank you again tonight. Peter, thanks so much. Stay safe. Well, the leader of Canada's federal Green Party is calling on the federal government to appoint a national task force on COVID-19. Annemie Paul met with reporters today here in Ottawa to discuss the COVID-19 response and to look ahead to the federal government's climate plan expected to, expected to begin rolling out starting next week. Uh, the Green Party leader is with me, as you can see. Annemie Paul, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me. I want to get to the climate discussion in a moment, but but uh, let's start with the other announcement you had to make today, which is to speak out about the need for a stronger federal response to the pandemic uh, and the second wave of the pandemic. What What is it you want to see? I want to see a true national response to a national emergency. Uh, the pandemic clearly is something that we have not been able to get uh, under control through a variety of regional or provincial responses. And so this is the moment for us to do what many other countries have done, which is to have all the level, levels of government come together so that they can speak with one unified voice and develop a coordinated response. What, what's been wrong with the federal response so far? Uh, well, again, we there's been a lot that's right. It's always important to say that we're not looking to create division where none exists. Uh, we've done a lot to protect people from the worst. Uh, but what we see now is a lot of mixed messaging. You have the uh, federal public health officials giving one message. There's another message then that's received at the um, at the provincial level and then another at the municipal level. It's left people confused and concerned and not sure what they should do to protect themselves and their loved ones. Although the Minister of Health seemed to suggest today that the response is working the way that it's supposed to, that there's an overarching sort of uh, advice coming from the federal government, but that it's really the, the provincial and local health officials that have a better idea of what's happening on the ground in their jurisdictions and know what rules and restrictions to impose. So uh, federal government seems to this point to be saying uh, things are working the way we want them to, but those decisions about particular uh, uh, rules and restrictions are left to the local health authorities. You don't see it that way? I believe that we can have a national coding system that is flexible enough for us to recognize where some jurisdictions are doing better than others. 
Uh, but we do need a national system and national messaging. Uh, we, you know, what what we are doing now is not working. It's important uh, to really underline that we are in the second wave. We haven't reached the peak of that wave yet. Um, we're told that we could, with, without any changes, that we can expect another 13,000 deaths. And so uh, we need to make sure that the the message, the um, the information, uh, and the decisions are being driven by the scientists, by the doctors. Uh, and uh, it's completely unfair, of course, to leave all of the decisions and all of the messaging up to uh, the municipal level of government. Uh, we really need a coordinated message. Okay, quickly on this, you know, provinces are reluctant uh, to take uh, direction, especially if they don't think they need to from the federal government. So that leads me to uh, asking your view on whether the, the, the Prime Minister should avail himself of the Emergencies Act or emergency uh, options that he has under the Constitution in this country to actually impose a, a different kind of response on provinces and municipalities. Should he go that route? to remember that even though I'm a politician, I'm still a, a person in the community, I'm still a, a citizen, I'm still a mother and a daughter and a sister. And that applies to all of the other politicians that are making decisions. And so if they are thinking truly about the people that they care about, if they're thinking truly about the communities that they represent, there should never be any need to even be thinking about um, invoking the Emergencies Act. Uh, this is about making sure that people who have been elected to represent their communities uh, are actually doing that and that they're putting them first. And if we do that, then I'm sure that we can come together as we have in other moments of great national crisis to create a solution uh, together to create a coordinated response. Okay, let's talk climate. The Liberals have promised a plan to get to net zero emissions by 2050. We'll start getting the details perhaps as early as uh, next week on that. What are you watching for? I'm looking for a lot of things because we're really starting practically from uh, ground zero in terms of building a true climate plan. Uh, first, we need to have a target that corresponds to the science. Uh, our target is about 50% of what it needs to be in order for Canada to meet its international obligations to re reduce greenhouse gases. We also want to see uh, Canada begin negotiations with the United States about creating a North American carbon border adjustment. Uh, we're very excited about the possibilities of that to protect our businesses and also uh, to ensure that uh, we encourage other countries to reduce greenhouse gases. And we want to make sure that uh, we have consequences for people who continue to pollute. We want to make sure that there are timelines um, and measurable timelines between now and 2050 as well. Uh, what kind of an impact would a carbon border have on uh, many of those Canadian industries that are uh, high carbon, high greenhouse gas emitters uh, right now, energy uh, industry, steel industry? Uh, what effect would that have on Canada's ability to, uh, to trade with other countries if we have a carbon border? Well, first, we don't want to see our uh, industries being punished. Uh, as we move towards a clean, green economy, we don't want to see uh, what we call carbon leakage, which is um, you know, dirty goods being imported from countries that have weak environmental policies, weak climate policies. Um, that's not fair to our industries. That's not fair to our businesses. And so that is one of the um, biggest things that we get out of this. Uh, we also have the chance to show true leadership on the climate 
it's uh, through a carbon border because if people want to trade with us, they can either improve their own standards or have us keep their money. And then I would say, Peter, you know, the train has already left the station because uh, President-elect Joe Biden has said that he wants to bring in a carbon tariff. And if the United States brings in a carbon tariff, we really have no option but to bring in our own. So it's much better for us to negotiate it jointly with the Americans. Uh, what's your sense of a timetable on all of this, given that uh, uh, Joe Biden uh, is certainly uh, you know, has a climate plan, wants to make change, but he's going to be likely dealing with a divided Congress. So uh, he'll have his own uphill battles. It, well, he wants to be the climate president. He managed to uh, forge a coalition behind his uh, his leadership bid uh, around a climate agenda. And so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to deliver on that uh, quite quickly. And Joe Biden also knows, and I would say that the United States and the European Union also know that the best way um, and for them to recover from the pandemic uh, is to have a green recovery. That's where the jobs of the future are. That's where the smart money is going. Um, that's where the uh, the major investments are happening. And so there's not really any choice to make here. We can do what's right for the climate and also make sure that we're building um, a more resilient uh, economy for ourselves uh, by having that green recovery. Green Party leader, Anami Paul, uh, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Peter. Well, time now for our Monday conversation with three colleagues from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star, Joël Denis Bellavance, the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for La Presse, and John Iveson, columnist for the National Post and Parliamentary Bureau Chief for Post Media. Uh, good to see you all again. Susan, let me, let me ask you here. We have the Green Leader today calling for a national task force on COVID-19 as the numbers soar. Uh, confusion over the rules in various parts of the country. And again, we're hearing calls for the federal government to use its emergency powers to set minimum standards across the country. What strikes you about how this response is now being handled? Well, I think what we're seeing is that this is a response to people's confusion. They're, um, this, uh, this thing is, A, getting bigger than anybody thought it was going to get at this time of year. It's getting scary, it's, uh, as promised. And I think somebody, everybody's looking for one place to blame. But I, I think it's going to be, I, I'm not convinced, first of all, I've never been convinced that a strategy or a policy changes anything. Um, and I, I do think we are seeing this in pockets. We are sitting here in Ottawa right now, which was a hot zone and now is not so hot. And I think the way this is going is an incredibly local one. But I think this reaching out for an answer or a policy or a strategy is a statement of a larger frustration out there that that people just don't know what to make of this second wave. And it is it's huge and it's surprising us and it's cropping up in uh, everywhere, but not everywhere. All right. Uh, Joel Denis, uh, should Canadi how much confidence should Canadians have in how the second wave is being handled uh, by their political and their health leaders? Well, you see that there is uh, some reactions pretty strong in every province about how this has been managed by the provinces. And within each province, there are some confusing messages being sent to uh, parents about how they should the, their kids should behave in school, whether they, they're going full time or uh, one day out of two. Uh, so I can understand the confusion that people perceive nationally when there is confusion 
uh, provincially even with the, the, the message that is being sent by some premiers. So uh, I guess there is some frustration because it's been a long, a long pandemic so far, about nine months. And we see that the second wave is harder than the first wave. So I guess people's frustration are rising to the top. And there's more pressure on the federal government to impose a national strategy over this. But I'm not sure this would be the right solution because uh, one region of the country varies uh, to mm. the next. And so you cannot apply one right. uh, size fits all for all the country. But, John, the, the, the suggestion is some, some uh, uh, does it make sense, so some minimum standards. Like, here's, here's what we expect for all Canadians when it comes to masking. Here are the mm. conditions under which you begin to close down restaurants. And if it's a certain case level or an infection rate level within the community, I mean, uh, I think people felt pretty good about the first wave of the pandemic. Uh, how badly is that confidence, do you think, being shaken now? And what should the federal government do about it? Well, clearly these numbers are, are, are rising, potentially to the level of out of control. I mean, if it gets to 10,000 a day, which is what was projected on Friday, if we don't get a grip of it, uh, more than double the current numbers on a daily basis, then we are in trouble. But I don't know what national standards and in inverted commas would do. I mean, we have a public health agency, and that is what the public health agency is charged to do. It talks to its counterpart provincially. And I do think that you know, conditions vary across this huge country, and a one-size-fits-all uh, one strategy is not likely to be successful. You know, I do think, well, we've, while we've got pressure from, from health professionals and others saying we've got to close down more things, at the same time, there are pressures from business groups and, and small businesses and restaurants saying, look, we're, we're dying out here. Our, literally, our businesses are dying, and, and you need to get a, some kind of balance. So who would be a provincial politician? Uh, trying to, to juggle those competing uh, interests. And I just don't see that the federal government wading in into a, an area of clear provincial jurisdiction would help make things better. And yet what we have, uh, Susan, as we, we have, uh, uh, we heard Patty Haidu say today, the health minister, essentially that, that look, it's, you know, we, we have an overarching a message from the federal government, but then it's up to local and regional health authorities who are on the ground who have a much better idea about how the pandemic's uh, playing out. Uh, and yet, you know, is that what we're left with? The, the prime minister on the sidelines imploring uh, premiers and health officials in the provinces to do more, but uh, not taking any action beyond that? I like this description. I came from Andre Picard of the Globe and Mail. who said we're into the, the chapter in in. COVID calls surge and urge, and uh, that, that it is surging. And basically the power is that all the, the only power that the prime minister or any political leaders have, as John was saying, is to urge. I think the real question is, if we had those standards, if we had, you know, let's lay down the law, who's laying it down? Who are people listening to? They've, they've shown a real frustration or a real... Um, especially now, there, there's a bit of backlash to the rules. So I think when, when you're hearing people say we need a national strategy or we need a national approach or we need the prime minister to say something, the presumption is the public is going to listen. And I don't think we live in those times anymore where the prime minister says something and everybody just does it. Okay, I want to uh, let's let's change subjects here. John, I want to jump to you and I want to talk about uh, 
Canada's relationship with, uh, with China. And the Prime Minister still hasn't made a call on whether to ban Huawei. The House is likely to debate a motion from the Conservatives tomorrow calling for a, a Huawei decision within 30 days. Prime Minister is mostly careful in, in what he says about China these days, given the ongoing detention of the two Michaels. We have a parliamentary committee accusing China of a genocide uh, for its treatment of the Muslim Uyghur minority. Uh, Bob Ray, Canada's U.S. ambassador, uh, sorry, UN ambassador, says there's evidence of a genocide by China. The Chinese foreign minister today called that assertion ridiculous. Is it just me or for the most part are parliamentarians and ambassadors being harder on China than the prime minister and his ministers? Yeah, well, I think that the liberal line has uh, toughened up uh, partly in response to the, the, the tougher line coming from Aaron O'Toole. When he won the leadership, a large part of his uh, foreign policy message was all about China and decoupling from China and uh, uh, you know, looking for other partners in, in Asia. I think that the Liberals have had to respond to that. They do have a, a policy review in train. When, when uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne became foreign minister, he said, we're going to review this. And a year later, we still have seen no evidence of that. And from what I hear inside the department, uh, the old China hands are quite happy just to keep things ticking over. They don't want to take too much of a tougher line. It's more like, well, let's wait and see. Things will change. There's pressure domestically on uh, Xi Jinping to uh, to back down in certain areas. No evidence of that. So I I, I don't think that's a great a great hope to, well, to rest on. Yeah, and, and Joel Denis, how does how does the uh, you know I. You know, what appears to be clearly the election of Joe Biden in the United States. Uh, he's promised a tougher line on China. How does that influence where, where, how the Canadian government may need to respond? Does that help Canada? I think it does. And I think Mr. Trudeau must be secretly uh, praying that Mr. Biden does take a tough line. And maybe uh, that would take away the flag that Canada would take if it was alone in, in attacking uh, China. But clearly, uh, you coming back to Huawei, I mean, the government has been dragging its feet on this file for the last two years. So at one point, uh, some of the allies of Canada, like United States, Australia, Great Britain, will lose patience with Canada because Canada is basically the only one remaining within the Five Eyes Alliance that has not, a, has not made a decision on Huawei. So I think it's time to take a decision. And the Conservative Party are trying, is trying to force the government to make a a decision on this file before the end of this year. So it may lead to more reaction from China, but it's the opposition now leading the charge mostly and the proxies of the prime minister, as you mentioned, we, and Mr. Bob Ray and, and, and parliamentary committees. I should point out, though, that there is, a, to my understanding, no international convention on feet dragging. There's no time limit on that. You can, <laughs> it can go on. Yeah, just, yeah. just on the Huawei thing, there is a de facto ban on Huawei in Canada already because none of the big telcos are going to partner with Huawei. So, you know, the Prime Minister might look at that and go, well, we, are, we essentially are not going to have Huawei in Canada, so why do I need to inflame the Chinese by making that official? Yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, Susan, what are your, your thoughts on this to conclude here a bit? Where, where, I mean, is the relation, are we sensing a, a clear pivot in where the Canadian government's going to be heading on China, do you think? Uh, Bob Ray gave an interesting interview over the weekend, which the Chinese government has been picking up and uh, attacking yeah. him for. Uh, and he was asked, how, what was the reaction in China? And he said, I'm not worried about the reaction in China. That was not directed at China. It was directed at the rest of the world. Canada has been relying on, as it has with the United States, encircling them, in getting a larger bunch of people, and definitely wants the United States in that effort as well. Canada knows that by itself, 
can't do much against China. So it's got it's toughening up, but that's a sign that it is asking the world to get tough with it. That right. makes any sense. It does. All right. Thank you all for your time tonight. Uh, take care, and we'll be in touch again soon. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. And that is all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks again for watching, and I'll see you next time.